Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge, with Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the rugby podcast that unlike the skydiver at the start of this game in 1987 is here on time with you. (laughs) In 1987 as well. And yet, yeah, we are also covering the 1987 Rugby World Cup, so we're even later to this game than the skydiver who comes at the start of this game. I understand most of you, most of you aren't watching along, have no idea what we're talking about. Um, I had one comment on Reddit this week, you were saying someone saying they really enjoyed the podcast, I forget the abuse now. Oh, thank you, that guy. But they said they started watching along the games alongside and they thought it'd be really fun. Then they uh, got a few games into doing that and <laughs> realised... It's bad enough no. for us talking about it, yeah, let alone... Like, I don't really want to be watching these games, but you know, I mean, here we are doing a full episode on all of them. We'll come on to it, yeah. given this episode is about this game. I enjoyed a lot of this game. I, I think there's more to enjoy in this game than there has been in quite a long time. Sure. I think this is one of the best games we've covered. Yeah. It does depend, though, what people are into. Like, if you're into people dropping the ball, then this mm. is the tournament for you. Oh, if you're it's into so people, good if you love like, that. if you're into people running into touch, that's another good one. <laughs> Kicks out in the full. Um, yeah. People kicking the ball into touch along the floor under no pressure. Stuff yeah. like that. Like people uh, not wanting to take contact. Being pulled as uncontestable and going to a scrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's still being a similar number of scrum resets so there is nowadays. So they form the scrums quicker, and it's not you know. Yeah. necessarily safe but you know there's still, still a lot of resets of course um, if you're into super boot as well which we are boot, okay there is there is there is a lot of super boot and there was fabio the dog and more to come yes indeed indeed so the game we're covering today is new zealand against argentina big game at the end of the pool and i'm joined as ever by mr will owen how are you doing uh, i'm i'm all right yeah 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 how are you and also who are you in that order i'm robbie squid whatever you want to call me and i am good yeah, so your good. name is good, and you are feeling Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. I am. I am feeling very Squidge. Okay. So as I mentioned, this is a big game at the end of the pool stage. This is Argentina need. I mean, they went into this knowing if they win, they're through. They're into the quarterfinals. Yeah. However, if they score three tries, they go through ahead of Fiji because they had the same record of winning one game. Yeah. But Fiji had scored more tries, so Argentina went into this knowing needs to either win. Or score three tries, which is a really weird scenario to be in. Yes. You don't know whether to go absolutely flat out looking for the tries, or to play the slightly more conservative game that you might need in order to beat the All Blacks. Yeah. And of course, they'd drawn with the All Blacks a few years earlier, a 21-all draw, and they played super conservative in that, and kicked the lever off it completely. Uh, yeah. Hugo Porter being the stand-up kick seven kicks on that day, which broke yes. the world record at the time. Yeah. I think we're still standing at this point in 1987. Yes, and like Hugo Porter being the 10 is probably a big factor in 
the fact well, it becomes very clear early on which of those two approaches they are slightly leaning towards of yes. trying to win the game through three pointers or trying to score three tries and just knock Fiji out. Uh, the commentators do mention at one point that the Fijian team are watching this game somewhere very anxiously, mm. hoping that Argentina don't score three tries, which is always a fun image. Like whenever Argentina made a break, just imagining all the Fijians just like, no, drop the ball. <laughs> don't. We did it for you. Yeah, we dropped exactly. the ball constantly. We folded our game against the All Blacks. Like we deli- We surrendered that. Yeah. Except, of course, for Superboot, who is out with his arm in a sling practicing his goal kicking. <laughs> of course. Because he's playing Superboot. But that's the thing, like, naturally, when they were talking about that, I was thinking, like, oh, I really want Fiji to go through. But realistically, what I mean is, I just want to see that guy play once more. I want to see I want to see Superboot play for Argentina. I want to see him play for everyone. That's true. I just want to see him play in every rugby match I watch. Yeah, he is he is my favourite rugby player. It's it's he's the just best one. Very straightforward. So the All Blacks, of course, have won their first two games by mm. significant margins and uh the commentators are very aware of that and very aware of the fact that New Zealand losing this game isn't much of a possibility, you know, that like it seems mm. very likely that they're going going to go through. So they reference that it is most likely that flight AR-881 is going to Argentina on Wednesday the following week. Which is, yes, the Wednesday morning. They list exactly the flight, exactly the time, and the flight number. Yeah. Because apparently it's the, on, it's the only flight from New Zealand to Argentina within a, like a three-week period. Yep. So Argentina knew they either had to get on that flight or wait around for a few weeks. <laughs> And what, what I love is there's a few things to unpack here. So mm. one, the commentators imply that somebody will be on that flight, regardless of yes. what happens. So if Fiji <laughs> so, were left on that flight, they are screwed. If if New Zealand lose this, we're banishing them. Yeah. <laughs> we're sending them to Patagonia and they are staying there forever. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, like, if Argentina won this game and then went out in the quarterfinals, they then have to just, like, do nothing for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have to sit around twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. But, I mean, there's also, there was a huge... So Argentina had the biggest travelling contingent of fans of any nation in the tournament. Right. Because Argentina had at least eight rugby clubs organised tours to go over at the same time. So they had full tours went and kind of went around. And so this was the first game in the Rugby World Cup ever to reportedly sell out. Wow. It's the first recorded sellout crowd. Interesting. It's recorded as like a 40,000 capacity crowd. Wow. Um, I believe. Uh, yeah. And it looked like, it didn't look like it from the footage. No, but it certainly didn't. But the, then, then again, there was it's a the genu- first time they listed it. Yes. There was a genuinely good atmosphere though. Like I, yeah. when the All Blacks scored and they would cut up to that North stand and you could see everyone out their seats waving flags and everything and clearly really enjoying themselves. Like, it did mm. look like a genuinely fun atmosphere. ESPN Scrum has it down as 30,000 crowd, which would take that as a lower boundary. It's very good, especially like yeah. by the standards of what we've had That's... so far in this tournament. I went to check this around and it is the, it's, I mean, up to this point, it's the highest crowd that's been managed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so New Zealand against Italy in the opening game. So it's a, you know, Eden Park at the time was about 30,000. I think it was 32,000 to see the capacity. Okay. And it's given us 30,000 is given as the attendance for this game everywhere. Uh, they only had 20,000 come to the opening game against Italy. Okay. And then only 25 against Fiji, the next pool game. Right. Which was played at Christchurch, so it was a different, it was a smaller ground. But Sure. But this was the, the first kind of big event where they had people coming and has them doing like beforehand. 
they had, as we mentioned, skydiving. Yes, which is an incredible sight, seeing the uh, the t- two teams walk out looking quite focused, which is mm. enough of a change. And then hearing Keith Quinn saying, well, there's going to be a slightly slight delay because some skydivers are coming in slightly late. So as we established in our episode on the opening ceremony, there were only two types of entertainment in New Zealand in 1987. <laughs> yes. And we sent up there's a third, right? So there are three kinds of entertainment in New Zealand in this period, right? One is discourse around modern marriage. One is brass bands. And the other is skydiving. Yes. They're the only three things people do to enjoy themselves. They have discussed the state of modern marriage. <laughs> they join a brass band or listen to a brass band. Or they go skydiving or watch a skydiver. Yeah. So... As they did in the opening game where they had a skydiver representing every nation, they did that again. They had some skydivers diving in to land on the pitch before this, except one of them jumped too late and came down after the teams had already come out. So they had to leave his target up and he had to come down right at the last second. And he had like a few of the Argentines clapping him, a few of them looking really pissed off. And yep. the all had to hang around waiting to do the hacker until this guy had landed. Referred to... Peter um, Landers. Referred Landers. to on the comms as the lucky last skydiver. The, the final one. Yes. I was thinking as well that I really wish that we'd had somebody on this podcast before who was, of course, an expert on skydiving, like Rob Skydiverman from, mm. from the Auckland Skydiving Force. Do you know if he's around backstage or anything um, to maybe answer a couple no. of questions? Did you not hear? No. This is maybe worth cutting, maybe worth not leaving in. I don't want to be insensitive, but um, no, I had, a, I had a call from his wife. Sally Skydiverman. Okay. Um, Skydiver Woman. Oh, is that double barreled? That's her name. Skydiverman, Skydiver Woman. Yeah, yeah like she, she was yeah, born yeah. Skydiver Woman and get married somebody with the surname Skydiverman. Skydiver. Double barreled it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, Sally Skydiverman, Skydiver Woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he actually, he went on a, he was on Argentine flight number A7644. On okay. Wednesday, just this Wednesday gone in the end of May, ninety seven, mm-hmm. and he he got trapped in Patagonia forever. Oh no way! Which I think is like yeah, yeah. Like he can't leave. He can't leave. He's just in Patagonia. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he like rooted the to the spot where he landed? No, his... he just can't leave. Okay. What would happen if he did try and leave? He just can't leave. He just can't. He just can't. He just can't. Yeah. You well, just can't leave. It's what Sally, Sally Skydiverman, Skydiver Woman told me. Okay, yeah, yeah. What, so how did you get in touch with Sally Skydiverman, Skydiver Woman? I said she rang me. Oh, okay. Is she a fan of the pod? Or do you know her personally? Oh, she just, yeah, I, I mean, I met her like twice. Okay. Where I did you meet her? More, but uh, at his house. At his house? <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm suddenly picturing what's happening here. So he is stuck in Patagonia forever. Which means he's not at his house, so you can go and visit Sally Skydiverman, Skydiver Woman as much as you like. Them. I can visit. I could visit her while her husband was still around. Yeah, I guess so, but I don't know, man. <laughs> There's not like a like game on whose line is it anywhere. Someone has to be sitting down. Someone has to be standing. Look, up, someone has to be leaning any <laughs> All I'm be... saying is, I've I've figured out the subtext. I've read between the lines, and it's good that you have each other's number. That. She knows how to get in touch with the podcast. 
I don't know what you're talking about. So anyway, uh, the skydive comes in late, which is ironic considering the Argentine skydive was the best skydiver in the opening ceremony. Yep. And so the one actually lets Argentina down here, which is a real, real shame <laughs> for the nation of Argentina, who also stuck with Rob Skydiverman uh, in Patagonia. Yep. So yeah, we have no marching band to come on, which is a shame, <laughs> but the game does get to kick off. However, before that, right? Yep. Not only do we have the hacker, not only do we have the national anthem, we also have a scandal being brushed under the carpet. We do? I don't know if you heard about this, because it's really well covered up, and I haven't been able to find... I found one sentence on this, right? right? And I haven't been able to find any more, and I tried really, really searching for this. I've got a few things of pre-match, but I have no idea what you're about to tell me. This happened in the week leading into the game. Oh, okay. Okay. So in the week leading into this final pool game, the All Blacks final pool game against Argentina, right? David Kirk, who's the New Zealand captain... He had, at the start of his tournament, been appearing in a television ad for which he was paid money. Right? <gasps> this sounds like nothing by today's <laughs> standards. Like, during a World Cup, where it's the national talking point, in the host country, the home team captain, who is also the favourite to lift the tournament, yeah. lift the trophy at the end of the tournament, appeared in an advert selling something. And of course, it's... Uh, the greatest force for good in the world exactly. is amateurism, However, isn't it? That's exactly right. The greatest force for good in the world is amateurism. And this Rugby World Cup had a ban on any players receiving money at any point, like in any Anything. sense. So, like, so nobody's allowed to have money at this World Cup. All the money in the world so, is elsewhere. It doesn't belong to a player. And if it did, if any of it belonged to a player, they are in hot water. Yes. So uh, players were given a weekly allowance whilst they're at the World Cup by the World, by World Rugby. Basically their money for like food and stuff. Right. Which they then realised after the pool stages was far too low and not enough for someone to live on. So they increased it between the quarterfinals and semifinals, I believe. Or it might be between the pools and the quarters. Right. But <laughs> Where there's less teams. Like, yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's the equivalent of genuinely like £8 a week or something okay. ridiculous. Like yeah. It's stupidly cheap, the amount of money they're giving the players. Uh, it doesn't count as payment. It is a, a, an allowance. Like yeah. you'd go to the tuck shop when you were a kid. Sure. You know, on like a scout camp. It's a lot of one-piece so sweets you can deal. get with eight quid. Yeah. Except for the fact that David Kirk took money to appear in television. Advert. Money. So, World Rugby threatened this week to ban David Kirk from playing in the competition. <laughs> okay. If the advert wasn't pulled. But. Oh my God. In order to keep the thing brushed under the carpet. And as I said, very little is known about this. Very little is talked about. Like, and because most of the accounts we have on this World Cup are either from World Rugby themselves or from from the players who played in it. David Cook doesn't bring this up. I read a handful of pieces on David Cook talking about the World Cup. This doesn't ever come up, the fact that he's threatened to be kicked out of him banned. He doesn't mention it once. <laughs> he never brings this up. And especially because he had the image of being like the kind of scout master, you know, kind of, kind of like good boy scout being the kind of good wholesome boy that you want your daughter to bring home that kind of lad like kind of good 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 boy yeah good safe lad so it was particularly scandalous that he took money money payment when the greatest force for good in the world is amateurism you can't be look it's it's very clear you can't go to the rugby world cup particularly this rugby world cup with money you're not supposed to have money you're not supposed to have l dollars for someone, anyone who isn't aware, rugby was an amateur sport at this time, and professionals were seen as like a big no-no. 
it's the reason we the split between rugby union and rugby league happened. Arguments over players being played at all. We have players leave in the past. We have players be banned for professionalism and lead, lead into this. And in the opening ceremony, the president of Rugby World Cup says that the greatest force for good in the world is amateurism. Yeah. And it's very much built on that. And it's also an interesting thing that one of the factors in the Rugby World Cup being introduced is they thought that having an annual tournament, uh, well, quad annual tournament, that's like a regular tournament like this, yeah. would prevent rugby turning professional. <laughs> took eight years. Eight years from the World Cup coming in for them to do it. <laughs> that was, what, two and a half World Cups it took. Yeah. I really don't see the argument for that, but there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, so in this week leading into it, right, the thing had really blown up as the World Rugby had, had managed to get, oh, the IRB, as IRFB, as it was at the time, mm. had managed to get... The International Rugby fucking Board. That's the one, yeah. Yes. They'd managed to get this advert pulled, and so it would never be shown again. <laughs> And there's no, doesn't need to be any record of it anywhere. Interesting. But the advert of David Kirk was pulled, disappeared, and never seen again during the week. Deleted, deleted from the recycle bin. The hard drive was burned and stamped into the ground and buried somewhere in Patagonia. So yeah, during the week between that game against New Zealand and this game against Argentina, which is only four days actually, I think there's like a four or five day window to right. between these games, that advert was pulled, locked away, and gone so that it would never be seen again and David Kirk would not be taken up because World Rugby were really desperate the IRF being were really really desperate for there to be just no scandals during this World Cup <laughs> so when what came up they just buried it just made sure the advert wasn't seen fair enough and they it made sure complete... that David Kirk was still in his overdraft most importantly yep uh, and apparently that was a factor in them raising the allowance for the players was them kind of going okay fine we'll do that in response yeah, it was quietly shelved is the phrase used in this kind of report on New Zealand history. So what was the one sentence you heard about this? So this is in a thing put together by the New Zealand National History Board. Right. right? They did a big piece on the 1997 Rugby World Cup as a cultural event. And there is one sentence in it that says, A complaint that the All Blacks captain Kirk had been paid to appear in a television advert was quietly shelved after the advert was pulled from air. Right. Right. That timeline comes between the Fiji and Argentina games. Okay. We know basically nothing. Interesting. I w- it's a real struggle to find anything else. And there's a couple of other footnotes and so on around this, but on the in the, the, the article, mm. in the, the piece on it. But that's about it. What would you imagine the advert was for? Well, I mean, so I can give you, I can give you not a definite answer. Okay. But I can give you a possible answer. Okay, yeah. I'd like to hear a possible answer. So when I was researching, when I was trying to look into it, I came across a column written by David Kirk uh, before the 2019 World Cup okay. talking about playing in the very first World Cup. Okay. Right? In this, I mean, there's a few really weird quotes in here. He refers to he refers to Margaret Thatcher as Magic Thatcher, <laughs> which I hate. Yeah. Uh, like, really it's like Magic hate. Mike. Yeah. But really oh, racist. No, there's an image. They, he talks about um, how the Orbans were feeling about the Cold War. Okay. Which, fine. There's this quote. In 1987, metrosexual soccer players passed their best going to pasture in the land of the dollar bill. Didn't rate a mention. Even if they were married to bony former song cinchers. What? I mean, he knows a lot about the land of the dollar bill. Am I right? He's learnt a lot over the course of the tournament. He's kept it very quiet. I... I'm figuring, looking at this, he's talking about David Beckham going to LA Galaxy. That makes sense. That was but that was the one thing that came to my mind. What an odd thing to bring up yeah. when talking so about the 97 David Kirk, not a fan of the Spice Girls. 
by looks doesn't of it. like the Spice Girls. Loves Margaret Thatcher. No mixed opinions on. Oh, oh do, do you want um, do, do you want me to do um, a parody so, of David Kirk quickly? N- not really, but I've got a feeling you're going to. I tell you what he wants. What he really, really wants. What does he want? Fucking he money. Wants. <laughs> he wants money. That's Abba. So <laughs> the thing I think that David Kirk was advertising was a Japanese corporation called NDD. Okay. Who have been a long term sponsor of the. Long-term sponsor of the Japanese uh, rugby team. Mm-hmm. You make their telecommunications company. They're like, you know, they're like an O2 or a uh, Vodacom. Vodacom, who sponsored the rugby Uni- United Rugby Championship, which I have been told off for not saying in the past when recording the things with Sivan Gacy. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be mentioning that, but, you know, it's the the thing that always happens whenever I've done, like, quote-unquote corporate gigs. Mm. Like when I did... Um, when you're I taking money and doing professional when things. I was, when I was doing exactly the thing David Kirk is such a scumbag to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I interviewed Brian Habana and Nolly Waterman about um, the Sevens. And I wanted mm. that, you know, that was the thing. And I was told, you can't refer to it as the Sevens. You can't refer to it even as the World Series. Not even the the World Rugby World Series. It's got to be the HSBC Sevens World Series every time. The thing is, you can always tell that that's what they ask, especially with the sevens, because everyone calls it the sevens. Yeah. But, like, it's so obvious on TV when it's the HSBC World Rugby Sevens. Like, it's, that's, that's like HSBC World Rugby, that's seven syllables that you don't need. And there was this kind of like, and because... You know, like uh, I was supposed to have like a ten-minute chat with them, where I basically asked them, like, "So, what does HSBC mean to you?" And instead, um, me and Brian Habana and Nolly Waterman, like, just just kind of like bounced off each other and rambled and got on really well for about forty minutes. And it was like Nolly was on uh, Nolly; she's a close friend of mine. She was on holiday at the time. She was in this kind of cabbage. Cabbage. She was in, <laughs> in a cabbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she went on holiday doing no take backs. Yeah, Brian Banana was also there. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, she was in this, yeah, like, little cottage, little cabin downstairs. It looked beautiful. It looked really, really lovely. There's a little fire behind her. Fire and yeah, cabbage. and we just, yeah. Yeah, we just, we just chatted about bullshit for like half an hour. And then I had to go after a while, like, so, um, where do you do your banking? Because <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> like, the segment was sponsored by HSBC. And I was just very happy to just kind of roll on. What, just be... um, what is Brian Habana's pin code, by the way? <laughs> Um, it's eleven fourteen. Ah, thank you. Probably no. So yeah, so NDD, which is a a telecommunications company from Japan, right? Yeah. A long term sponsor, Japanese rugby team, and Japan got invited to the Rugby World Cup. And interesting thing I learned as well from reading that history article this last week: Zimbabwe were only invited because they hoped South Africans would watch and could have someone to root for that wasn't the Springboks. So they invited, they invited their neighbouring country, they invited, you know, nearby... I hate to say I kind of figured that out. Yep. They were invited in the place of the Springboks because they wanted, you know, they wanted them still to tune in. (laughs) And so, yeah, so having decided Japan was part of it, it then looked like the World Cup was going to fall apart. Right. And NDD, this company, steps in and gave them the money that they needed to kind of bring it over the line to kind of finalise it because they long-term sponsored the Japan and they wanted them to play in the tournament. It was like the best exposure Japanese rugby had ever had. Yeah. And they get to play games against teams they never really got to play on a stage bigger and more people watching than they'd ever played before. So they think it was a great investment. Sure. And in the end, it was. Like, helping get the rugby all come off the ground has been phenomenal for Japanese rugby. Yeah, oh, massively. It's the best investment anyone's ever made in 
Japanese rugby. Players. It's where new Japanese rugby fans come from. It's where they first see the game. Yeah. It's the World Cup. Exactly. And 2019 was the biggest thing to ever happen to yeah. rugby in that country. And I'm sure they, if they if they are sponsoring and believe in the Japanese rugby team and they want their investment back on that, yeah. they made an incredible decision to to be the company that gave the money that got World Rugby over the line Definitely. to get to World Cup from running. For sure. And David Kirk goes on quite a bit during this piece that he wrote in 2019 about how great a company they are. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Despite the fact he doesn't know what the name stands for, because he says in brackets, I think the N stands for Nippon. <laughs> he also says, and this is another quote, they deserve to be better known. As in the company? The company. Well, he's doing he the Lord's work in known. that case. So, yep. He did, he did some work for that. He really, really helped get them off the ground and there. The key word is work. Yes. Employees so uh, that's what payment. I, that is what I figure. There's a lot. I'm just looking for it again. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of it. Oh yeah. So um, he also thinks that it's also a thing. This is not something I know for for a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also says that the TV rights went to national broadcasters, and the BBC had the legendary rugby commentator Bill McLaren. So of course they got the rights over anyone else. Right. I love the thought they gave the rights to them because of Bill McLaren and for no other reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? Well deserved. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think absolutely cannot complain. Yeah, about Bill that. McLaren rules, rules all in the rugby world, especially in the eighties. So I'm fully on board with that idea. Also, did you I say am. broadcasting a minute ago? Did I? Maybe. Maybe you're just doing a really. I think David Kirk would say it like that. I think he would. Yeah. You're just getting into character. You're just doing a bit of method with Could the All Blacks scrum off. Can you just, like, run into touch and then slap someone? <laughs> I'll just get really angry at Fiji. Yes. So, we should probably look at the teams. Yeah. Oh, my God, we should. <laughs> we haven't gone that far yet. I was about to go to the pre-match stuff. We've not looked at the teams. Let's go for the All Blacks first, I reckon. Sure. So... Notable changes include Kieran Crowley coming in at fullback for mm. John Gallagher. His ninth cap. Yep. Terry Wright coming in on the wing instead of Craig Green, uh, who I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with, uh, Terry Wright. This was his debut. This was his... Oh, no, sorry. He had one cap going into this. He yes. Had one cap previously. But speaking of debuts, they have Bernie McCarhill, I think they pronounce his name, mm. in the, the centres, as well as a certain Zinzan Brook in the back row. Mm. Uh, interesting thing about Bernie McCarhill, mm. uh, his brother went on to play for Ireland. Really? And was a kind of monster rugby legend who then won one cap for Ireland. It's pretty cool. In a warm-up for the 1995 World Cup. Oh, fair play. Whereas Bernie McCarhill, yep, went on, this was uh, his debut for the All Blacks, went on to play for them 32 times before the next World Cup and retired after that World Cup. That's an impressive haul. Yeah. The 32 Not caps. bad, especially in the amateur era. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, whereas the other guy... Z- Zinzian Brook mm. Brookie. Yeah. Zinzian yeah. Brookie. Yep. I meant to check how it was pronounced before recording this. Yeah. Who I believe is now a- Zinzian Brook. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah, I be- yeah, so obviously he had a pretty impressive international career, I think, by all accounts. Yep. He ten years playing for the All Blacks, won fifty eight caps, played in three World Cups, this one being the first being his debut, and since that World Cup has gone on to become a twat. <laughs> Yes, that's certainly... And, like, I love seeing the humble beginnings of Zinzanbrook. Zinzanbrook in this game. Because, like, he was clearly very grateful to finally get this opportunity. Because, like, they say, like, oh, he's been playing really, really well 
for Auckland, I suppose, mm. <clears throat> leading up to this World Cup. So like, he really deserved this opportunity. And it's interesting seeing him before he becomes a twat in about the, probably, yeah, the 34th minute or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so yes. Zinza Brooks, since retiring, has become a massive anti-vaxxer and anti-masker. Yeah. He ran a B&B in Berkshire, which I still think is bizarre. What? He ran a B&B in Berkshire until what? it went bankrupt. Uh, the moment sold itself on being like, come and stay with All Blacks legend Zinzan Brook in Berkshire. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yep, that then went bankrupt. And he also he also had to have a kind of operation on his head after falling out of a taxi in the, in a Spanish town. Though, and this is this is the best bit in the news article, the circumstances are unclear. So he got in a fight, basically. <laughs> yep. Because, I don't know, I'm probably not the best judge of character of Zinzan Brooks specifically. There's people a lot more qualified to make judgments on him. But that one just seems quite straightforward. Yeah, yeah, you'd think. You'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, and obviously since then it's become a massive, like, complaining about masks all the time and saying, mm. like, children will die of masks and so on. Yeah. Um, he, My favourite Zinzan Brook line is he said, because of the pandemic, the next Ronaldo will never play football the next Wayne Gretzky will never play ice hockey and the next Kurt Cobain will never pick up a guitar. I mean, famously, no one played the guitar in lockdown. I was going to say, yeah, that's that's basically the only thing people did do in lockdown, isn't it? His quote did say the next Kurt Cobain won't play an open mic, but... Yeah, I guess, but they they were still doing online open mics during lockdown mm -hmm. on Zoom. Mm Mm-hmm. Too many of them. (laughs) Yeah. The next Kurt Cobain will not play an open mic because he's playing an Instagram Live instead. Yeah. Do you know what Zinzan Brooks' middle name is, by the way? Uh, I do. Zinzan's not... Zinzan's his middle name, isn't it? Zinzan was his birth middle name. He then changed his name by deed poll in 1965. He definitely changed his name to Zinzan so he'd Sorry, stand no, he out more. born. He then changed his name by deed poll in, during his rugby career. Right. Yeah. So he, he... Went by, he always went by Zinzan. His name is Murray Zinzan Brook. Right. Uh, he always went by Zinzan. Yeah. Uh, he then changed his name to Zinzan Valentine Brook. My God. He really needs to stand out more, doesn't he? Yep. I, yep. With his, uh, he had that little blue roll on his leg as well mm. during this game, just so you'd always know which player is Zinzan Brook. You can always just look at his leg and just go, oh yeah, it's blue. That's, that's how you can tell him and Andy Earl apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. His son, of course, is now in England in the twenties. Oh, of course. What's his son called? Lucas Brook. Lucas Brook, who, of course, probably grew up in a B and B in Berkshire. Yeah. So yeah, that's. <laughs> so since Brook comes in for his debut, yeah. Um, I think that's the main big news in the Kiwi team. Yeah, I'd I'd say so. Yeah. Should we look at Argentina now? Yeah, the Argentine. They keep the pack the same. They don't change the pack at all. From the, pretty much any of the games, have kept pretty much the same pack in, other than Chevalier coming in for an injury. Uh, but then the back line is in chaos. They have two play. They have Diego Cuesta Silva, who has been one of my favorite players to watch in this World Cup. I think yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. I've been really, really into him as a as a player. Agreed the whole way. And he pulls out. He's he's kind of gone, struck off. Yeah. early on, uh, as is Sebastian Salvat. Yeah, fullback. both of them pull out the day of the game. Yeah, that's quite unfortunate, isn't it? So there's a lot of players that we don't really recognise much. They've got a debutant fullback in Anguat, 
Mm. They have, of course, their uh, right winger is called Campo, which just yes. constantly made me think of David Campesi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he comes back in for... They drop Pedro Lanza, because mm. we can't have two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the issue with Juan and Pedro Lanza both is that they're both shit, so they figured that it's probably better so, that they have one of them rather than two. Both of the Lanzas are the same player. Yeah, right? they are. They're identical. They cloned them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're literally identical twins. Yes. And both of them have this really interesting thing where they get the ball and the first moment they have it, you think, oh, this is going to be interesting. This could be good. And it never is. <laughs> there was one particular moment where, like, uh, Juan Lanza... Did like, you a kick? N- no. No? Okay. Where he gets the ball on the wing and he has, like, a really clear run. Mm. But the guy he's having to run on the outside is John Kerwin. Yeah. And John Kerwin gets closer and closer until eventually he just shits himself and just pumps the yeah. ball into the air behind him, which is just phenomenal. Like He's so afraid of contact. Yes, yeah. particularly with John Kerwin. The other thing that was interesting about the, the two Lanza brothers, they turned mm. 35 the week after this game. They both look like kind of 21-year-olds who are I quite get, fast and young that like they're giving a go. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that happens. Sometimes you get uh, somebody with the raw materials of a good winger who is young and you give him a go. And that's what I thought happened with both of these. No, they were in their mid-30s. They persisted wow. with these a long time. Jesus, wow. They went on after this World Cup. They retired, both of them after this World Cup. This was this, So Pedro Lanza doesn't get off the bench and this is Juan Lanza's last game. For Pedro Lanza does get off the bench. Pedro Lanza does get off the... Sorry, of course he does. So they do have both of them on the pitch at one point. They do get back on for the... Yeah, the last, like, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. This is both of the last game for Argentina. Right. They then immediately retire at the same time, uh, having become the first twins who are playing in the Rugby World Cup together. First twins who have shared the pitch as such. Uh, They both retire and become coaches of Buenos Aires University's team. Oh. I like that they did it together. Yeah. They became co-head coaches... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because of the same guy. Yep. And they're just like when you split a worm in half and you get two Argentine wingers. They became co-head coaches of uh, Cuba, as it's known, Club University Buenos Aires. Yeah. Until 2008. They coached them for 20 years. Wow. Wow. Imagine fair play. How date they were by then. Yeah. No, it's... Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, fair play. Impressive stint. And I hope they taught them better than they learned themselves. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey... Good players aren't always good coaches, and vice versa. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully they were good. I imagine they were equally as good as each other, though. Yeah. So Rafael Madero comes in at thirteen for Argentina, mm. but the other change of note is the change that isn't made. The other interesting thing about this team sheet is the one that isn't there. Did you notice this? Did you pick no. up on this? No. So in this World Cup, you've got fifty men, obviously, in your starting team. Yeah. You then got your bench could go up to twenty-one, and you could only bring them on in the case of injury. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Argentina's team only goes up to 20 because they brought three scrum halves to the World Cup with them. First two got injured. Their other scrum half was afraid of flying, who was normally their first choice. I talked about in the previous episode. I don't have his name right down in front of me, I'm afraid. So he didn't come to the World Cup, right? They were so short on scrum halves, they didn't have anyone to come on and fill in. So they only fielded 20 players. But because they knew they might need another scrum half, as I mentioned earlier, Argentina had the biggest travelling contingent of any any nation at this World Cup. Are you so, about to say what I think you're about to say? I might be. So they went to the Argentina management, Hector Silva and Angelo Gustaella, went to a handful of these clubs that are in the crowd. Oh my God. And said, can anyone play Scramal? Are you serious? 
So they had four scrum halves from local clubs come and join the team down on the bench. No! And the idea was basically they'd pick one of them and send them on if there was an injury there. So they weren't <coughs> officially on the bench, but also they were because no one cared at the time. Yeah, yeah, nobody was going to, like... There, was, yeah. there wasn't a man with a clipboard saying, like, oh, yeah, are you officially listed here? That's incredible. So they just had... They just went and grabbed some scrum halves from the crowd and just went, like, we won't... You're not coming on unless we desperately need you. But can you be on reserve and just sit like, close to the front? How many can you times sit, like, near the tunnel? How many times have people made the joke of like, oh yeah, I'm going to the Wales match tomorrow. Shall I bring my boots? How many exactly. times have people made that joke for that to actually happen in 1987? Yep. This World Cup is now complete. And I've heard everything I could possibly love about this World Cup. They're not listed. I wonder if they would have let them come off. Yeah, I would have loved it if they came on, yeah. but. It is also poetic because they, they didn't pull one out. They pulled a handful of players. Yeah, yeah. One of them might come on. Like, if Gomez did go off injured, the starting scrum off, which one would have gone on? Would they have just picked but, one at know. random? Whichever and one was also, warming up the hardest. Lanza was the only back on the bench. Like, they yeah. didn't have other options. So they would have needed someone else to... I reckon, though, like, imagine the pick-me vibes between those four. Yep. Of, like... Them constantly saying to the coach, like, oh, yeah, I'm the best one. You know, I warm up the best. I'll work the hardest. My pass is really good. I scored four tries at my last game or whatever. And there'll be so much bullshitting going on to make sure that they were the second choice. Mm-hmm. But we have no idea. We have no way of knowing. That's Maybe phenomenal. one of them injured Cuesta Silva and Sonny Gosevrata. Maybe they pulled those injuries and they just got the wrong players because they know what Gomez looked like. It's very possible. Because you it's... couldn't Google him at the time. Yeah, yeah. I... Love that as a theory, and I like, say we haven't had it's kind any of... injuries in the warm up, and we have two for Argentina in the same game. And I mean, the same game where they have amateurs coming in. Pretty so suspect, isn't it? Is the it is the greatest force for good in the world. So very true. So. It's uh, true. They're all amateurs, so it's all fine. Yeah. but that's phenomenal. I love that. So should we quickly run through the other stuff that happens in the pre-match? Yes, I think we should. I think we should. So we've covered the skydivers thing, and yep. then come the national anthems. Yes, starting with Argentina. And many, many others. So Argentina, and look, some of this makes sense a little bit considering what you've just said. Hmm. Argentina have fans and skydivers and photographers all in their huddle for the national anthem. But they have about 20 people run onto the pitch and just yeah. join them. They've just got random like supporters and p- people like in yeah. like... Not like playing kit, but like stash that's vaguely rugby related, Argentina related. There's like there's a guy just in a puffer jacket, just stood yeah. in their huddle for there's the a guy national anthem. Like a wind up camera stood over their heads. Yeah, just yeah, photos. yeah. I want to see those photos. I wonder where they are now. Yeah, I mean that's it. Like because Keith Quinn says there's 45 photographers in the Argentine mm. huddle for the national anthem. I saw about three cameras, so yeah, I think yeah. I, I think there's. There's three photographers and 40-odd fans. Opportunists. Opportunists, that's the one. And then, luckily, you know, as soon as the anthem finishes, they all go back to the side of the pitch where they go back to their their viewing area rather than trying to stay on the pitch, uh, trying to intrude it or whatever. But, yeah, the the Argentines clearly have massive reserves. And again, I assume at least four of those were reserve scrum halves now. Yeah, I appreciate the passion of them all. Yes. You know, I appreciate them really wanting to be on the pitch to sing the anthem properly. Yeah, yeah. We've all wanted to. Yeah. It's, it's... the kind of thing that, like, if bloody Burko, whatever his name is. Jarvo. Dirk Weasel. I don't care. I don't want yeah, to know. Yeah, prick. Name. I was about um, to bring him up. Yeah, wanker. Yeah. If he had any 
wit or ability or anything other than just being a bell end about it. Yeah. Then he would do that. He would get like twenty people onto the pitch and go like, "Well, this is an achievement and it's funny," rather than just going and standing there and not having a joke. Yeah, yeah, and just having his hand on his heart. It's like, oh, it's funny because he's not from Japan. Get it? Grow up. Yeah, shut up, Jarvo. Like as I call him that. No, it's Burke Weasel. Burke Weasel. I'm sorry. Like the thing is, Jarvo. There's there's people who do stuff like that on YouTube that are really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That are really good. Like I, I'm a fan of the like Zach Allsop's channel on YouTube. I think right. it's really, really cool. I think there's stuff like that. There's a way of doing it. There's a narrative yeah. you can make rather than just I'm just going to stand on the pitch. That's what's funny about it. I'm on the pitch. Get it? I'm not going to be here. Yeah, it's not a thing. Like there's no joke attached. There's no. nothing funny or impressive or good about it. No. I, like I watched his video at the Wales one. It was just nothing. dreadful. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's like watching a tap water. Masquerades being Robin Williams. And do you know what this is? Your second YouTube beef, bro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this one read far, far... This is a lot more Gary real Lambert. than Gary Lambert's, yeah. yeah. This one, I genuinely feel in my bones. Yeah. Also, stood in that that crowd with the Argentine huddle for the National Anthem, seemingly, Ronnie Corbett seemed to be stood there. What? There's is the... he one of the reserves from Arves? <laughs> Must have been. There was... How desperate they are, they're calling up Ronnie Corbett. Yeah, the, the world's greatest Ronnie Corbett lookalike, at least, was hanging out with the Argentine national team. Amazing. Yeah. What a thing. Yeah. It sadly, didn't get on the pitch, but... You can't win them all. Yeah. Does this get us to kick off? Are we there? Yeah, there's the world's least threatening hacker happens, and then it turns out that the game's being refereed by Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, and, and we're off, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, oh, it's Quittenden again. It's Roger Quittenden. Yes, it is. The English referee, who at one point, one of the commentators talked about running into in the street. Yes, yeah, we'll very come on to that. To control. Yeah, in fact, no, we can cover it. We can, yeah, we we can say it. Now. Yeah, yeah, because he says, there's been no foul play so far in this World Cup. <laughs> we have witnessed like four games where someone's got punched in the face right like, from the ref. At one point, there's a beheading, and he <laughs> goes over to Lanza and says, keep it lower next time, no penalty. It's awful. Some of the some of the shit that goes on in the end of this game is mental. No, no foul play though. No foul play in this World Cup so far. I really miss the easy. bloody Cambridge professor referee. I want him to come back. Yeah, I miss him. Uh, Roger was... Quittenden. Who's he? Yeah, exactly. As, as I say, he's like... played drums in the Rolling yeah. Stones for sixty years. He's like he's like an extra in the Quartermass experiment. <laughs> So, yeah, so we get to kick off, right? And yes. I think for the first two or three minutes of the game, we should go relatively descriptive of all the things that happened for a reason. So, like, there's a, there's a kickoff and yeah. there's a fair bit of kicking back and forth. Grant Fox, mm. for the first sort of ten minutes of the game, virtually every time he gets the ball, he kicks it. And yeah. he is actually kicking very well at the start of the game, yeah, Grant Fox. Well. I think he puts in some really, really smart kicks and really puts this debutante fullback and not under pressure. Another thing that I find interesting, I have in my notes, like, oh my god, Zinzan Brook doesn't throw a dumb offload on his first touch. It's like, this guy's going to be an all-time great. He just carries the ball in normally. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing that really stands out about this All Blacks team, is they seem to think, they've thought about the game at some point. Mm. Right, like, they have a, again, there's a lot of, like, we've, we've shat on this whole World Cup a lot, right? But having now watched 19 of these games, yep. the All Blacks are by such a margin the best team. Yeah. <laughs> by such a margin. Like, because they can catch a ball. 
They can catch a ball. They can run with a ball. They only pass, normally only pass when it's on. Yeah, yeah. That's a big thing. They, they pass when it's on. They usually pass to John Kerwin as well, which helps. Yeah. Players actually run angles off each other. It's not just they don't just stand about, which is rev- genuinely revolutionary and looks so brand new. Yeah. And the forwards get involved and handle the ball, mm. uh, which is huge. It's genuinely like on every possible factor, other than the scrum here, where Argentina do have them at the scrum, but they yeah. keep getting in and out quickly enough, it isn't a problem. New Zealand are the best. Like the first game, the Italy game, the whole standard was so shit, we kind of didn't take in how good New Zealand were. Yes. Right? And then Fiji, the Fiji game was an odd one because yeah. Fiji sent out like their third team. Yeah. <laughs> they literally we said we weren't them. tackling them at the end of the game. Yeah, like... yeah, so we weren't. Tr- they, the captain came at the end of the game and said we weren't trying. <laughs> But this game, like, actually, New Zealand, compared to everything we've seen, mm. are really good. They are. They're, they they're are. safely so much better. Yeah. And as you say, like, the opening 10 minutes, they really demonstrate a good kicking game as well. They do, yeah. Really... Like, and they're not kicking for the sake of it. They're kicking tactically, and they're sending it through their halfbacks, rather yeah. than just, like, a winger or a flanker just gets it and kicks because they want to. Because, uh, yeah. you know, they don't know how long it's going to be before the Nets get the ball or whatever. So, yeah, I think there's one in particular where, like, Argentina, like, Hugo Porter sends a really good kick down to it like into the New Zealand 22 mm. and Fox just really effortlessly clears it back up to the opposition 10 meter line yeah it just kind of strokes it yeah so it's really impressive it's really good um and then they keep going and there's some more kicking tennis as they yeah. kind of keep sending it across uh-huh until a scrum takes place and Derek quitting no Derek Clive Roger Quittenden stops to reset it and the camera cuts away well, we've got we've got a line out setting here. Of course, it's a line out. It's a scrum. It's, it's a scrum. It's a, it's a, it's a line out. I've literally got it in front of me. I've just checked. This. Okay, it's a scrum. Okay, fine. It's a scrum. It's Whatever. A scrum. It's Either a way. So, while as, as Roger Quinton is turning around, the crowd absolutely start roaring. The crowd yeah. gets so so loud as this is happening, and genuinely loud as we've heard a crowd all World Cup. Yeah, and. About 50% of the players, the forwards that are setting up for this set piece, turn around and kind of go, what the hell's going on? Should we both read out our notes at the same time? Okay. Count me in. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Dog on the pitch! Dog on the pitch! Dog on dog! 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 Dog on the pitch, two minutes in! You can see my notes here. Um... <laughs> okay, I'd like to show you my notes as well, because yep. we did this last time. There is dog on the pitch. There we go. And then, and yep. then, hang on, I'm not done, I'm not done. On the next page, dog on the pitch. <laughs> two minutes in. You're, you've taken up probably about a quarter of the page with two in two places. Yeah. Bottom, of, quarter, bottom quarter of one page. Top of the next. Yeah. I have taken up three quarters of one page. Yeah. And then I've also taken up half of the following page. <laughs> there is a dog on the pitch. Entirely with dog on the pitch. I'll tell you what. I'm... And as it happened, as we cut away, right, I was watching this in, in the, the Squid Rugby office, which there are other offices around. There's other, you know, kind of people that run far more serious business. I think it's an architect next door, you know, there's other stuff around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I screamed, yeah. <laughs> I, when I saw a dog on the pitch. I immediately started crying with laughter <laughs> about the fact we've got another dog on the field. We've and got look, another dog on the pitch! I fucking love Fabio, right? 
But I've got to say, this guy got so involved. This dog. This guy. This so, dog is. I mean, really, he shows what comes with a work rate, doesn't he? He does. I would say that this dog sums up everything it means to be an all-black. Because it was very clear that Fabio played for Italy. He was an Italian yeah. dog. This dog was very much an all-black. It was very, <laughs> very clear. So the dog, in in the previous example, right, Fabio runs on the pitch whilst they're kind of waiting for the restart. Yeah. And kind of then... Um, it, Favoretto? No, not Favoretto. Um, uh, Collodo. Collodo, thank you. Oscar Collodo. Uh, so go over and play with the dog for a bit and then kind of lean it off the pitch so that he can restart the game. He's a 12, he just moved into 10. And he has to play with the dog so they can get it off the pitch. Um, good on Oscar Collodo. Uh, whereas in this example, the dog comes onto the pitch and just stays there for several passages of play. He just starts playing for a bit. And at one point, there is a line-out setting, and we see a wide shot of the All Blacks back line, and the dog is slotted in a 13 and positioned perfectly. Like, he is stood in, like... Ball point exactly the depth you'd want, yeah. like exactly off, like so that he can still link up with the winger. Exactly stood in the thirteen channel. He stood exactly where Joe Stanley should be positioned. Yeah. It's incredible. So it gets so much better than what we've just d- described as well, because Argentina win their set piece. They give the ball to Ugo Porter. Who kicks the ball to the top? <laughs> So, <laughs> so as well in this period as well though so there's a moment like after we first see the dog Hugo Porter attempts a drop goal and we the dog is now out of shot at which point Kieran Crowley regathers it kicks for touch and then the dog runs on to try and regather the ball <laughs> so Hugo Porter kicks the ball mm. and Keith Quinn on the comms says Porter kicks to Crowley and the dog. <laughs> Kieran Crowley catches the ball and starts running. Because, well, like, we think the dog's disappeared. Like, yeah, the dog yeah, yeah. is off screen for, like, Much a like minute. Much like Fabio. Yeah. Like, and we assume he's been led off the pitch and he's gone. Yeah. And then he just isn't. Then he starts to get more and more involved. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kieran Crowley catches the ball and starts running. And the dog starts chasing him. <laughs> Like supporting him so the, on his run. Yeah, but that's the thing. The dog basically, like, the dog loops Kieran Crowley. <laughs> so he's going to be on the inside of him. Yeah. Yeah, the, the dog is absolutely loving it. He's playing in an international rugby match. It's the dream. Like, sure, Argentina have plucked out four humans from the stands, but this guy's just come <laughs> on the pitch without asking permission. And frankly, didn't ask for forgiveness either. Nobody's tried to get him off. And so. I want to apologise. It was a line out. I was looking at the wrong set piece. Damn right. It's the sorry, sorry. It's just as Fabio. So a police officer comes on to lead Fabio off the pitch as Hugo Porter's going for a drop goal. This is a different dog from Fabio. Bear in mind. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yes. this isn't Fabio. This very much is not Fabio. Yeah, yeah. And I was very clear in that this is not Fabio. At no, all. no, no. And when the dog first runs on the pitch, it's a Fabio again. It's not Fabio. It's a different breed, different everything. Yeah, it looks very different. So yeah, so it is. It then it's at the end. It's like, and we'll we'll come back. I'm darting around a bit. Yeah, uh, I mixed up the clip. I went back to and reopened that. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Is yeah, Hugo Porter goes for a drop goal, and you can see a police officer leading a dog off the pitch in the background. 
As, as Argentina's greatest ever fly half attempts points to put them ahead against the All Blacks. I just love that like none of the players look at all phased by the fact that no. the crowd absolutely adore it, and uh, rightly so, so. Yeah, at one point, whilst Argentina was setting up, for a set piece. Yeah. As I said, Fabio in the 13 position drops back into the backfield after <laughs> Porter catches the ball. <laughs> like he's just read the, like he reads the play better than any of the wingers on either team. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. Like he's positionally so sound. Is, yeah. Is this dog for the All Blacks. <laughs> but of course, the, uh, the, the really, really funny thing but, that like, happens. There's another, Go there's on. another point where the, the All Blacks have a scrum and Fabio looks like he's set, no, sorry, and the dog, he's a name, he's a name. So I've it? looked this up. Okay. So I've got the most common names in New Zealand in 1987. So, okay. So the top three are Michael, Daniel and Matthew. What do you reckon? Well, Daniel gives you more rugby pedigree, doesn't it? Yeah. We, is he Daniel the dog? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The next, don't know. the next ones are James, Christopher, Andrew, Samuel, Joshua, David, and Benjamin. Is there an interest? What's the first interesting name? Um, Apologies to anyone called Samuel, David, <laughs> Nicholas, Timothy, 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 Timothy the dog, Tim, Tim, Timothy, yeah. Timothy the dog, Timothy. Okay, he's okay. Timothy now. He's Timothy. We christen him Timothy. Yes. So yeah, Timothy starts, as I say, there's uh, a scrum being formed now, or another mm. line out maybe, and as you say, Timothy starts walking off into the All Blacks back line, and she's like, he's positioned at outside centre, not far from John Kerwin, as the commentators point out, and then, probably the greatest thing I've ever seen in a Rugby World Cup match, ever, the dog does a wee! <laughs> in midfield! <laughs> I so okay so I couldn't make out what happened and I wanted to go back and check this before we recorded it was a tight squeeze and so on yeah but the commentator just said the dog has disgraced himself on the field I assume it was a number one I was worried he'd had a shit it might be a number two but I I'm not gonna lie whenever the ball got to like that area and the comment the cameras got to that I area, was yeah I was looking out for dog poo so I assume it was a wee yeah you can't see any dog poo on the field let's say Timothy did a piss Timothy did a piss. <laughs> for the sake of this. But yes, yeah, so, so, it's really funny because like the co-commentator, Graham Thorne, he starts talking and then he just is cut off mid-sentence and starts laughing because the dog started weeing next to John Gerwin. And it is whilst he's in the All Blacks back line before he drops back to full Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, as you say, he drops back into the backfield to, to sort of ask Gerwin Crowley, do you need any help here? You know, seeing as we've got yeah. now an, an eight-man back line, we can, I can, you can maybe have an extra sweeper up here and I can, I can cover the last man if necessary. And... Kieran Crowley shoes him away. Yeah. Like, with his foot. And kind of goes, no, go away. And the crowd all unanimously stop booing Crowley. They, and this is their own player. This is, this is like a full All Blacks, like, crowd. And a lot of yeah. Argentine clubs as well. And like, Kieran Crowley is... Kieran Crowley saying, no, 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 I don't want your help, dog. And they're all like, piss off, Crowley. We don't want you on our team anymore. We want the dog at fullback. So, Kieran Crowley, right, he is one of the most established names in this All Blacks team. For sure. He is one of the, the longest players, and he's not far from his home crowd. Mm. Like, this is, this is you know, should be his home crowd here. This, he should be the boy. He should be celebrating. But instead, yeah. it's the good boy that they're interested in. Mm. It's Timothy the dog. Yeah, yeah, they don't care about And yeah, but, like, I love that he's so casual about it. Mm. There's no attempt to lead the dog off, and there's no attempt to be like, can someone, can someone deal with this? <laughs> He just kind of go as like, uh, you know, if that happened to a modern fullback, they kind of look to the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kieran Crowley's just like, no, like you can't stand there. <laughs> um, like, because it's like, 
it's the look of like you're going for a kickabout with your friend and you're doing penalties yeah. and then you've got to hold the penalty because there's a dog's come up to you and you're just like oh I don't want to kick the kick it to the, at the dog. Yeah, it's yeah. that kind of look of inconvenience of like it's okay. We'll wait ten seconds for the dog to then move on to somebody else. As no, I never do that because I like to pet the dog instead. I'm playing a decisive pool match of a rugby world cup. Yep. Yeah. yeah. At home for the All Blacks. Yep. Yeah. But that's fine. And like the, the commentators start to point out, like there's nobody, nobody is bothering to get rid of it. Like the dog will no. have to choose to come off the field. At the end, the policeman officer comes on, mm. and you can see they cut away to the scrum setting, but you can see the police officer starting to chase Timothy in the background. Yeah. But he's walking, <laughs> like he's walking really slowly. And, like Argentina given the penalty then, and the guy walks out of shot. And so, like as then he lines up the drop goal, Timothy is being led off behind, like just behind yeah. where Porter is, I... and you can no longer see it. I absolutely adore the shot of the scrum being set whilst you've got the dog walking past in the background, like just behind <laughs> the scrum. You've got a dog just like having a bit of a wander around. I absolutely adore that shot. It's the best thing that can ever happen in a rugby match. It, it is. Or any walk of society or humanity. Yeah. Just basically, dogs need to just exist in everything. But, like, the fact that at one point it looks like the dog's chasing Kieran Crowley. Yeah, I know. At several points. Oh. And the fact both Timothy and Fabio have been such friendly looking dogs. They're such good boys, aren't they? They're such good like, boys. Neither of them ever broke their smile. Both of them <laughs> found it really, really funny. They were both visibly laughing quite a lot. Yeah. Both clearly had great senses of humour. I absolutely love them both. There are three set pieces, right? There are three passages of play while the dog is still on the pitch. Yeah. Arguably even four. Like, he's, mm. he goes off as the fourth is setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's incredible. But you're right. There's three full passages that are start to finish with a dog on the field. <laughs> the fact that his positioning is better than Joe Stanley's. Do you think? The fact that he finds the space. I don't know if he's turning to Stanley going, no, here, mate, you want to be over here? Because, look, it takes somebody doing something right in order for sports people, sports coaches to learn things. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, at some point, Eddie Jones will have watched something and gone like, oh, oh my God, I'm inventing the one three three one. Do you think Eddie Jones watched this game and looked at where Timothy was stood and goes, the dog's got it. That's how we're going to run backfield from now on. This is it. This is it. This is how we're going to make it up. We're going to do... Timothy invented the pendulum. Yeah, the dog invented the pendulum. Like, that's... <laughs> that sounds like a bestseller at Waterstones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Timothy is a revolutionary all-black and mm-hmm. one of the greatest to ever play the game. And a good, good boy. An excellent, excellent boy. And we will talk more about Timothy at the end of the game. Yes, we will. So... <laughs> We're an hour in and we're two minutes into the game. Yeah, we are. Well, no, to be fair, we are we are now about six minutes into the game because at this point, because Timothy was on the pitch for twice the length that the match had already been played. That makes sense. He came on two minutes in and stayed on for four minutes. Uh, so I'm just going to work this out. Just give me a moment. I did check that, by the way. Timothy is on the pitch for about four minutes and seven seconds. And that's It's remarkable. And he comes on, yeah, probably around as the clock is striking the second minute. So, okay, I'm going to say I want to back up David Kirk's thoughts on Fiji mm-hmm. and how disgraceful it was that they didn't pick their first team. Yeah. Because surely 
because outside of that game, the All Blacks have a hundred percent record of dogs invading the pitch at the Rugby World Cup. So if Fiji sent the strongest team out and tried to win that game, we had a proper competitive match there. Then we may have seen a Rottweiler taking to the pitch. Right? It is Fiji's fault. As it was, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing taking the pitch on that day. Meaning that the All Blacks only have, oh, two out of three of their games have dogs on the pitch. Only two thirds of the All Blacks Rugby World Cup matches have had dogs on the field. Like... Bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or dog piss, as the case may be. Quite. It breaks me to say, do we now move on from Timothy? I guess Now so. that he's come off the pitch. Because I, I have written down, like, Hugo Porter misses a drop goal. I really don't care. Yeah, I I kind of barely paid attention to it everything. It took me so long to refocus. Timothy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, Hugo Porter misses a, a drop goal. I don't care. And you then they kind of did a bunch of bullshit and it leads into David Kirk's going to try. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. So the David Kirk try, I think, is really well taken. It's a yeah. very good try. God, John Kerwin's um, good, isn't he? John Kerwin is excellent, and Kirk picks his line superb. He does. It's a proper support line that's timed well, and he is picking it, intending to run it off someone's shoulder rather than just yeah. getting near them. Yeah, yeah. Like, he is, he is running a line that will, because he knows his line will make him score, rather than just he's getting close to the other players he can, which yeah. is what I did at the time. 100%. Uh, it's a very good line, and yeah, John Kerwin makes a break excellently, has no right to. Yeah, and it's the pass is really impressive from Kerwin yeah. that he manages to deliver that so just in such a composed manner. The commentators do, of course, say this is this is the difference between uh, John Kerwin and David Campisi at the minute. And we heard in the previous game the commentators saying that um, David Campisi was lacking in confidence because he was giving mm. passes, and the, the reason for that is described here because John Kerwin possesses currently all the confidence in the world. Oh, hello. So he has taken David Campisi's confidence and added it to his own game. So he is now giving passes for, to try scorers. The interesting thing is, if you ever listened to or read up on John Kerwin talking about this period of career... No? So John Kerwin has always had like major mental health issues. Right. And he suffered during these first few years in the All Blacks, around sort of 85 to around 88 mm-hmm. at least, if not further into his career. Like, really, really bad anxiety, like really right. quite crippling anxiety as well as massive imposter syndrome. And he was convinced he was not good enough to be in this team, despite being the best player. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And like, I think that's really cool that he's come out and like spoken about yeah. that. Because like, I think imposter syndrome in rugby is is definitely such a massive thing because like, yeah. every single player has such a massive weight of responsibility on them. And like, yeah. it's so much easier to see that your teammate is doing well rather than that you are, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I get yeah. it massively, imposter syndrome in rugby teams. Like, I've so many times before just thought, like, I'm the worst player in this team. Like, I shouldn't be playing still. And, like, I think anybody who's ever played with me will know that, that I often think like that. And, like, it's not a good mm. thing. And it's probably true. No, I'm, I'm joking. It's probably not true. <laughs> but, like, it's really cool hearing somebody who was literally, like, arguably the best human player in the World Cup so far. Mm saying yes. that like he was he he's been unbelievable in all three games he's played and it's really cool knowing that like that's that's part of his motivation if that makes sense yeah yeah well you know and he was just he's in the past talked about being very depressed uh and he actually did a campaign with Jacinda Arden who said recently she had the same thing of like she has right she often suffers from imposter syndrome right uh which is something I genuinely feel like all world leaders sh- should to a degree yeah like if 
And I think it's a problem with not to get too deep into this. Sure. But um, our cover, current government are, you know, this, this kind of Conservative Party generally, uh, a lot of old Etonians who were raised in schools and raised in the likes of Eton and Harrow and then head into Oxford, Cambridge, etc. And are basically brought up saying, you will lead the country one day. One of you will. And so you end up with someone who is as stupid and incompetent as Boris Johnson because he has an enormous amount of kind of just self-belief that is mm. completely unearned because he is an idiot and also terrible on the wing, as we learned when he played against uh, the Japanese kids. Atrocious like, player. Terrible like, technique. Would would deserve imposter syndrome in this All Blacks team if yes. he played in number 14 jersey uh, um, instead of John Kerwin. Yeah, we end up people with massive egos and no ability. So people who actually earned the right to... This is something I could go on for a very long time. Yes. Um, and I perhaps won't. But Boris Johnson is a completely talentless hack prick. And I wouldn't mind if I picked up my phone in a moment to check the news and saw that he had been sent to go and live in Patagonia for the rest of his years, <laughs> never to return. Yeah, it is It is a real shame that they got Rob Skydiver in. Um, you know, it's always the good ones, isn't it? Always. Then, then again, like, he's not missing out on much conversation, is he? Mm. Not much of a conversationalist, Rob Skydiver in. Anyway, John Cohen yeah. says about try for David Kirk, really, really good by both players. I yeah. Just on the, the, the John Kerwin note. Yeah. John Kerwin on the tour the year after this, the year after this in 1988, uh, after this World Cup, he said he got so bad his kind of sense of imposter syndrome, yeah. despite the thing they're saying about all the confidence in the world, yeah. uh, that he considered throwing himself out of his hotel room. Bloody hell. And it was only Michael Jones coming in, who was his roommate at the time. Jesus Christ. Uh, that kind of like threw him off and made him realise what he was about to do. Like yeah. if he'd been left alone that whole night, he'd probably Christ, feel like he probably would That's so bad. When, as you say, he's playing this magnificent brand you'd never know from the outside. Yeah. And there will be examples in modern rugby of... Oh, yeah, no doubt. Of similar cases. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And every example of someone like John Kerwin saying it when we had no idea leads potentially, hopefully, to more and more people knowing that they're not alone in that. Yeah, Um, no, definitely. And that it exists and being able to talk about it more publicly as well. Yeah. No, um, good on John Kerwin for good, being good on John Kerwin expressive. on both being good the best player, the best human player on the pitch. Yeah, and yeah, on on this. Yeah, to gradually move on. I think uh, I think we've yeah. probably both said our piece on that, which is really good. So something really significant happens not long after this try, right? So Campo, the right winger for Argentina, does mm. a really really great up and under mm. that lands just outside of the All Blacks goal line for Kieran Crowley to catch. And he sends this bomb up. It goes miles into the sky. They've got a really good chase set. It's a brilliant kick. And Kieran Crowley catches the ball. That's the yeah. really significant moment. A fullback catches a no, high ball. It's, it's, a, it's a very good take. Yeah. There's an even more significant one that happens later on in the half mm-hmm. from Porter. Should we just move on to that now? Go for it. Yeah. So uh, Hugo Porter, Argentina, kind of in that like... You know the way nowadays if a team goes nowhere for four phases, they kick it. Yeah. Right. Argentina didn't make any ground on the first carry, so they kick it. <laughs> yes. So Hugo Porter slots into the pocket, hammers the bomb in the air, right? And as it comes down, it's one of the two centres chasing. I'm not quite sure which one. I think it might have been Madero, the first mm-hmm. that comes in. Uh, Rafael Madero. Headers the ball? Yes. So he the ball comes down and he headers it forward over the top of Crowley. And then he could have, he almost gets to it. Like, it's only having to run around and him. That's and on the full black. as well. It's not even on yeah, the half yeah. volley. He just on the full headers the ball over the, the, over Crowley's head and almost gets there in time. Yeah. 
And the commentator then brings up, this is apparently a tactic Hugo Porter used to do all the time. Yes. He would regularly vault, like, head of the ball. So his, his exact words are, last time Argentina were here, I saw Hugo Porter repeatedly heading the ball deliberately to, to find touch. It's a very common strategy in rugby in Argentina. Mm. So there's something I find questionable about this. So Hugo Porter was heading the ball deliberately into touch. So that was his mm. way of finding touch, was by heading the ball. But by heading the ball, surely the maximum, if you've got a really powerful header on you in rugby, the maximum you're going to make is probably about 10 metres, which yeah. you could make with a grubber kick. So yeah. he would often just do this really just unique thing of, I'm just going to head the but ball. I, I wonder if it was like a high ball coming in, instead of catching it and kicking it, he would just header it back. I guess so. I wonder if you, can you header the ball out on the fall? I wonder this. I thought this during it. Mm. That I... Because the header doesn't really count as anything, right? Like no. It's not, it's not as technically a kick. And it's not that it's... it's not officially a knock-on, is it? It's not a knock-on. It's not a knock-on. I've seen referees, absolute fucking grasses, disallow it. Like David Lemmy a few years ago going for the flying diving header on a grubber kick to set up a mm. try. Unbelievable. And the referee called it a knock-on, which is stupid. Which is not. Which is yeah. just not. But yeah, uh, head is not really written into had... rugby law. Yeah, during the Six Nations, there was one came with Leon Infante's head and it was causing knock on. When it's not, it's not. Imagine being a referee on. disallows that. Yeah, even if it is a knock on, imagine giving it as one. But I, if you get a player in a in a scrum cap, right, mm. reinforce the top really heavily. You could run this as a tactic. Run a bomb. Don't try and catch it. Just header it over the top and have someone chasing behind. I think you should do it like the, the Nathan Fielder sketch, Who's Tallest Canada, where yes. they've got a can of tuna hidden inside the scrum cap <laughs> yeah. to, to make their head a little bit stronger. We should do exactly that. They should have to play the whole game with a tin of tuna in their head. Yep. And then at the end, we'll send them home because they're just shorter. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> who's Tallest Canada? Very, very funny. Look it up on YouTube. Genuinely, I think there's something in that. Getting your tallest player, getting a lock to chase a bomb in the 22 and head it over the top with a winger chasing yeah. him behind them. It's, it's There's up. probably a lot of kind of um, concussion concerns the, around that, but... Nah, doubt it. It's the thing that... We always tried to run this move in the Six Nations mm. um, against France. Yeah. They hung a bomb first phase, with the idea being Liam Williams to slap it back and then they yes. have players chasing him on the right side. Yeah. Uh, run that, but with a header. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Easier than the hand. Better. Lift a player and do a header that way. Lift a player, do a header. We've just revolutionised rugby. Let's get these written down for our barbells. Yeah, yeah, we will do. We will do. And Even will though the lift a player could probably catch it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it probably went to touch, wouldn't it? It probably go dead. Yeah. I think doing a header on a line-out to get it back to the scrum half is funny enough as it is. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. It's difficult. It like, is. Logistically. Yeah. And slap ball is bad enough. Yeah, yeah. But I guess what you could do is throw the ball in, the player catches it, the lifted player catches it, and then headers it forward for the scrum after run onto on the other side of the line out. Okay, okay, yeah. Because they can't kick while they're being lifted, can they? True, true, true. Just something to think about. Yep, that's interesting. Let's think about that. Um, Should we move on to more rugby? Yes, we should. should. I have no idea, by the way, how that would be a very common strategy in Argentina, heading the ball in rugby in in the 80s. But yes, there's a point where Argentina throw a forward pass and the referee calls it. And you can hear one of the Argentines go, No! On the ref mic. And it was a very obviously forward pass. 
right after his try, David Kirk does a really stupid offside where someone knocks it on and he <laughs> runs like miles to go and dive on the ball. Yeah, it's very it's dumb. Really dumb. Yeah. Really, really dumb. At one point, the commentator says, "For those of you who study mammals." Yes. <laughs> Which, I know it's rugby union, mate, but come on, how middle class do you think the crowd is? <laughs> yeah, no, it's very funny. Um, I think we shouldn't give context to why he said that. No, no. he just says, for those of you who study mammals... Yeah, like the fox, like Grant Fox, yeah. who gets clotheslined into touch at one point when he's on like a fairly decent opportunity in the opposition 22, which I just think was funny because the referee didn't give it. Just other thing Keith Quinn says... David Kirk kicks the first point of the game, kicks a penalty from like, foot me out, yeah. first shot goal anyone's had all day. And he said, that is the best goal kick you will see in Athletic Park this week. <laughs> Sorry. He said that was the best goal kick. In... Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, like, one out one. it's going to be outdone by Hugo Porter slotting a 50 metre one in a second, but... Yep. All week. Yeah, all week. All week. Now... We have often mm. talked about the difficulty that surrounds the line-out in 1987. Yes. With no lifting, nothing. So, another thing that's interesting about the All Blacks is they find something of an at least short-term solution to this to make mm-hmm. the line a lot more effective. Did you notice this solution that they go for? The lifting? No, Argentina do do a lot of lifting. Argentina do a couple of lifting at Penalise for it once. Yeah. They, and I went back to watch it. It's like, oh no, you are actually lifting. Like, it's not like a couple of times people have got close to someone. I love how the commentators say, like, they're going to get sent off for this if they keep going. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the thing that deserves sending off in this World Cup. But the All Blacks, yeah, have a strategy, a move, which helps hmm. them uh, retain their ball probably at least 50% of their lineouts. I don't know what you're talking about. It is. That Sean Fitzpatrick throws the ball in fast. Whoa. Let me be the first to say, whoa. Yep. He also, like, goes... This is just before he pioneers the two-handed throw as well. Yeah. Like, he's still throwing it one-handed. Yeah. He's... It's interesting, because you can see it, like, creeping in, like he controls it with his other hand a little bit. Yeah. Like, because he's, of course, the inventor of it, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, it is, it's interesting to see the start of that. But yeah, Sean Fitzpatrick can throw the ball properly, which makes a difference. Can I just give you a completely unrelated update? I really, really hoped you would ask that. Kazuki Jimenez just retweeted me. Whoa. This is, this is excellent. Just an excellent development. Yes. Kazuki Jimenez just retweeted me. And I just saw that while I was trying to find my notes on something else that I made on my phone instead of on my, <laughs> on my, my notebook. Nice. And I saw Kazuki Jimeno, Japan, Back row forward and lock retweeted me. And I'm getting lots oh of God. Japanese accounts now liking the tweet as such. Kazuki Mono is the best. Yep. You're big in Japan now. How's it feel? I am, I am officially medium-sized in some of Asia. Yes. And you know what? I would take that. Which, compared to me being small in an irrelevant part of Europe, is an improvement. It's very true. It's very true. I reach a point in my notes here mm. whereby... I start just talking about the times where Kerwin gets tackled rather than the times he does anything <laughs> significant. So I just have like... Well, yeah, I mean, Kerwin so he tackled. creates a try for Zinzanbrook. Mm-hmm. He does. Oh, which God, is that's lovely. Great. I don't know how he gets away. I don't know how he gets manages to slip through there. Yeah. There's a couple of times those two combine, isn't there? And like, yeah, there's... Brooks' line is excellent as well. Mm. But, I mean, the way he gets away, Lance's tackle attempt is hilarious. I didn't see it. Um, he and I basically, think probably... he, he gets himself as low as possible. And when I say as low as possible, like, 
typically when you hear that, you mean like while still staying balanced, while still, you know, you get to your perfect center of gravity. Lanza basically sits down <laughs> and lets Kerwin just run around him. It's hilarious. It's a whole new meaning to the phrase sit down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Be humble. He's just doing an impression of Fabio the dog. He's sitting down next to John Kerwin. Not Fabio, Timothy, sorry. Either one. Mixing my dogs Either one. Up. Either one. Like, well, actually, both of them I like John Kerwin. They both yeah. look qu- uh, quite obedient, given, like, Timothy uh, didn't disobey any orders when no. he came onto the pitch, because he wasn't given any. But <sighs> So I'm sure if Kerwin just said, sit down, sit, Lanza yeah. would. Juan Lanza trying to join the Oscar Colado club of surprisingly memorable players from this World Cup who played with a dog. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Those of you who study mammals will remember Timothy. Exactly. And Lanz is just inspired by this great all-black dog yeah. uh, and trying to be a lot more like him. And speaking of, shortly afterwards, Sinzan broke injured his knee, which I'm sure uh, he'll blame on masks. <laughs> yep. We then have, like, um, so Gomez, the scrum half who's coming for Argentina. Mm. Yes. is not a great scrum half, but he's a phenomenal rugby player. I think he plays quite well in this game for I think the wrong reasons. Yeah. At one point, he's the commentator kinda... says, Scrum Off is a very bad position for Argentina at the minute. Yes. Which, I mean, is demonstrated. Imagine if Thomas Williams couldn't pass off the base. Yeah. And you've kind of got Gomez, sure. Scrum Off for Argentina today. At one point, he does the most beautifully audacious dummy I've seen in my life. Oh, yes. Where he kind of he has the ball and he kind of like parts his hands as he's about to dummy it. So it's in the outside zone, he's going to like mm. do a sumptuous like flick out. Yeah, yeah. And instead he just like brings it back together right after they step around him. It's like a basketball feint. It is, yeah. More than a rugby oh, it's beautiful. dummy. Yeah. It's beautiful. He then goes like darts on the outside of someone that's jinxed round. And as he's being put into touch, manages to get the kick away. Yeah, yeah. And the kick goes out in the fall, but like he's being bombed into touch. Yeah. It's worth yeah, it. yeah, and like he sends, he, he does another one where like he, I think he dummies past Zinzanbrock himself, and like then sends a beautiful like spiral kick down the field, and mm. there's a lot of moments like that where he he makes kind of half breaks and stuff. And at this point, when defenses weren't too good, yeah, it's it's good on him for giving those things a go, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So we're probably approaching half time, aren't we? Yeah, uh, I yeah. would just like to, seeing as we're at half time, embrace the the spirit of this World Cup and amateurism, and allow a moment for our sponsors at Acast to butt in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that advert for the train line. <laughs> or Peter Crouch or whatever it was. 
Or, yeah, yeah, probably Peter Crouch, isn't it? Maybe, what's the other one that comes up a lot? Oh, there's, I get... there's a few. Sometimes you get the, uh, I had the good, the bad, and the rugby the other week. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, we yeah. had egg chasers come up on the front, oh, which was Christ. very funny. Um, right. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I get a lot of, like, adverts for, like, like, audio podcast adverts for one of the brands of cinema that does, uh, not an unlimited card like Sunnywood does. Right. It's a limitless card. It's View or someone okay. gets them. Yeah. Just get that advert. If you had that advert, congrats. If you had the David you know, Kirk advert, then you're one in a million. You're basically, you've got a golden ticket, effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got the, oh, the, the David Kirk advert. Especially in podcast form. He loves you. David Kirk loves you. David Kirk wants to be your wife. If you're that person, <laughs> Let's do not write in. unpack that sentence anymore. Um, <laughs> I hope somebody makes a no-context so... squidge rugby. <laughs> Would not... Y- yes... You're welcome to. Uh, Diego Cash does a really good sidestep. Yeah. Who is the hooker for Argentina, who's a prop for Argentina forced by hooker in this World Cup because he's the shortest of their props yep. and he didn't have any hookers available. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like a night out for Lance Delalio. Hugo Porter, I've just got written down Porter WTF and I think that is far later in the game than I intend to. <laughs> At one point the commentator What's says Zinzan Brook was being pesky to the Argentines, which I think is a, a cool turn of phrase. I enjoyed that. Yep. Pedro Lanza comes on and his first involvement is trying to dive on a loose ball and he misses it. He just dives five metres off the ball and the All Blacks recover it. It's, it's very phenomenal. good. It's phenomenal. Again, like, he didn't mind that he didn't have to go into contact there. Yeah. One point that I think is a ridiculous moment of Games Gone Soft. Mm. So the All Blacks kick to touch and Angout, the fullback, picks the ball up and runs out. So he's yeah. the one who takes him to touch, sorry, rather than the All Blacks. Because Grant Fox is a really good kick, just short of the touchline. And he, he then starts getting hassled by Terry Wright on the left wing. Mm. And what Angot does is he just he drops the ball and doesn't give it to Wright. Because why would he? Mm. He's on the opposition team. Yeah. He's trying to go quickly. That would hinder his team. Who if he gave him the ball. And he gets penalised for it. He has a penalty given against him because he doesn't actively give the ball to an opposition player. He didn't throw the ball into the crowd. I was very clear about this. He didn't throw the ball over the advertising hoarding. He drops the ball and he gets penalised no for it. rugby values. No rugby, rugby values. is different. You're supposed to be different. Sportsmanship, bro. Yeah, amateurism is the greatest force of good in this world. And we need to embrace it. And sportsmanship, instead of trying to win... We've got to remember that competitive top-level sport is not a competition. No, it's not. And that's why, for example, we don't pay for it. We don't we, pay the yeah. players. We've, we've, got to, we've got to remember that the World Cup is not about winning. No, it's not. It's about friendship. It's about friendship, it's about taking part, and it's about values. Values. Hard work, humbleness, sportsmanship, fitness, goals... Edward, Chicken Fingers, <laughs> Wings, the band the Beatles could have been. Yeah. Bloody the um, Leia Seydoux presenting the World Cup with Jerome Kino. That's what rugby is all truly, truly, truly about. This is life. This is rugby. This is the rise of rugby. Four American listeners are very into that. Yeah. So, a bunch more bullshit happens. 
And that's the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe Stanley scores a very clinical try. Yeah. It's just like one Argentine mistake, one Argentine mistake. And then you see them keep catching the ball. Absolutely like, gasses them. Yeah. Yeah. Wheaton scores a particularly uninteresting try. Crowley finishes one move that's quite nice. Uh, but not particularly interesting. Just like a lovely little backs handling move, mm. like well rehearsed. Yeah, Crowley yeah. comes and in, and again, it's it's Kerwin beats a few men and then passes on the yeah. outside to him. It's just them. Um, they run a lovely move to get Kerwin into space, mm. so that Crowley can then stand on the kind of like goal hanging as it yeah, were position yeah. on the wing. Yeah. Can we please talk about the Lanza try? Oh yeah, yeah. So God, okay, what a so, try! So right. There was a recent article in, I believe it was Stuff NZ or the NZ Herald, okay. one of the news in the newspapers, yeah. one of these in the kind of big websites sure. that covers rugby. They had a recent article by a journalist who wrote about how he used to love rugby in the 80s and 90s, and now it's shit. The classic, yeah. And he talked about how rugby was so much more entertaining in the 80s, and he had the, there was a phrase that we said something to the effect of forwards were so much more skillful then, okay. right? Yeah. And that now people only look to pass. And the one, the one point he did make that I do agree with is he says like people say the game has gone soft, and I'd argue it's the opposite. Like the hits are now too big and too physical. Sure, yeah. And the game is too physical for. I think that's a valid argument. And I think it is. Yeah. That's you know fair, but um, not when you're comparing to this World Cup where the skill level is atrocious and basically non-existent. Yeah, yeah. Right, and it really stands out. The All Black players can catch the ball, as we talked about. Here. Yeah. And it's just bullshit. And I think if anyone who has that take watched any of the one of these games back, yeah. right, they would be proven that. Yeah. There is one passage in this game where it turns into the thing that all the old men think rugby was. Yeah. Right. Where both teams play such beautiful, wonderful, instinctive rugby. Yeah. Where there's no pre-core moves. There's no kind of like game plan stuff. They're just playing whatever's off the cover, whatever's on. Yeah. And both sets of forwards are handling the ball and passing it. Proper and backyard everything. rugby, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. And it is so like, instinctive and the players are picking lines off each other mm. and the players are It's like supporting. watching a good level of touch rugby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's yeah, it's beyond that because they're drawing them in and offloading yeah, them back yeah. and they're doing like overhead offloads. And it's, and then the All Blacks knock it on and it goes to the other side and Argentina spread it. It's kind of 30 seconds of the game just being as oiled up and moves as beautifully as people yeah. wanted it to at the time. It's brilliant. Right, and yeah. people's memories, people's wrote very, very heavily roasted memories yeah. say it moved at the time. And it very much doesn't. It's very much not very good entertainment. Uh, but for like a minute it is. For a minute it's glorious. Yeah. And it results in Argentina having the ball in the 22. Ball actually comes out of a ruck, which is a rarity in yeah. this World Cup and increasingly so. Yeah. Thanks, Bryce Lawrence's dad. And Hugo Porter spots some space and he puts in a perfectly weighted cross kick to Juan Lanza, who's actually holding his whip, who regathers and scores on the court. Yeah. It's lovely. It's beautiful. It's a like, lovely passage of Even, life. like, as you say, like, the All Blacks break out of their 22 originally it was lovely. Like, with Kirk mm. and Kerwin and um, Brooks That's it. It's that passage. Up. It's that... Yeah, that's the beautiful bit. It's like the All Blacks play beautiful rugby, then Argentina play beautiful rugby, then Argentina yeah, yeah. play again. You see them trying to run it out from the round 22. It's um, Kerwin and um, yeah, Kirk. Crowley yeah. both try to play it out from five metres out from the round mm. line and they, they bomb it in the end. Yeah. Because, you know, it's 1987. Uh, and they can't have a completely flawless passage. Of course, yeah. But it results in Argentina do something lovely. Yeah. And you're right, Porter's yeah. kick was beautiful. And, like, mm. another thing I think interesting that, like, that ruck was probably only took about... I think the ruck speed was probably about 30 seconds, so it dragged the average down to about 45 minutes um, for a ruck speed. Yeah. 
Uh, and yeah, it was lovely, like seeing the ball come out and um, Porter putting in that delicious kick for Lanza to. I spent the whole time when you're running onto it, thinking like he's going to drop this, he's going to drop this. And he yeah. didn't. He dives over for one of the tries of the tournament so far. I would not hesitate to say. Yeah, really good, really well taken. Both players involved for Argentina doing their job yeah. expertly. Yeah, and just good. Showed what a good player Hugo Porter was. Yeah, like showed that he had more than just the drop goaling. Like he had yeah, vision definitely. and general awareness of the whole game. Yeah. So what else happens? There's a point where McCarhill passes to himself, but by the time he catches it, he's in touch. <laughs> yes, that was very good. And then are we getting on to the final play? Oh, we've got a couple of other tries, I think. There's... Have we? I feel like I touched on a lot of I tries mean, very yeah, briefly. I mean, yeah, scores that try, number eight, where there's an incredible business decision by Gomez, who just runs past him and falls for a dummy, which isn't thrown. I genuinely don't remember that try. Yeah. I watched it about an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just number nine having to tackle number eight and doesn't mm-hmm. do so. Much like the Scotland-France game, there's a point where Grant Fox bursts the corner flag. Oh, when yeah. he dives for the line for what would have been his second All Blacks try. It's not as good. It's not spectacular. It's not spectacular, but Jamie Lyle would have loved it. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, go on then. We'll go to we'll go to the the last try you wanted to talk about. Well, okay. So do you want to pick from the last try? And I've got the event after the last try. Yeah, that's that's really more what, what I'm thinking. I mean, there's a couple of things in the lead up to it, I suppose. Whereas there's the fact that. <laughs> It starts with Argentina trying a rubbish chip kick behind their own try line, which goes perfectly oh God, yeah, sorry, yeah, we, to yeah, John we Kerwin. Need to go into this. So, yeah, so... Hugo Porter had announced he was retiring after this World Cup, right? His dream was playing the Rugby World Cup and he elongated his career in order to play in the Yeah. Right? He was Argentina's greatest ever player. Yeah. He was a captain. And he was a captain. He'd been a captain for like eight years at this point. Yeah. He was 35 years old for most of the great results they'd had in the history. 36. 36 years 36 old. 36 at this World Cup, right? And he didn't actually retire retiring after this World Cup, right? Mm. And the last things he does on the rugby pitch are on his own try line, do a tiny chip kick straight to the opposition's best player and top try scorer five metres out from the line. Yep. Right? That is how he wants his career to end. And then the moment that doesn't go well... He's kind of like, oh no, we're in, we're in, we're in trouble here, lads. After trying that stupid chip kick, that Kerwin yes. uh, gets stopped. I think gets held up. Uh, he drops the ball, and of course, Argentina are then given, which is basically a world's first, a scrum behind their try line. Yeah, so they've got to feed the ball on the on the goal line. Yeah. The goal line is the tunnel line. Yeah, and David Kirk is very aware that he can just ground the ball, and yeah. they manage to just about get away. And Hugo Porter then catches the ball and goes, "You know what I'll do." Take it into contact and just drop it. Yeah, I mean, so, so he's trying to. The thing is, Gomez tries to run it out. Gomez tries to draw the ten. Yeah. I think partly under panic because Kirk's going to dive on the ball and score. And look, they need to score tries line. at this point. Yeah. Nerve lost, you know. It makes and sense. And like, you know, when you're behind the line, there's no offside, so the nine can stand wherever. Exactly, yeah. Uh, he can be wherever he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kirk's trying to dive on it. He's put under a lot of pressure. And Gomez then tries to draw ten and uh, Brooke yeah. offloads. Porter then, in failure to offload, then just drops the ball in front of him, knocks yep. it on, and Gary Wetton immediately dives over and scores. Or is it Alan Wetton? One of the Wettons. Yeah, Alan Wetton. Alan Wetton. Alan yeah. Wetton immediately scores from that. Yeah. And that is Hugo Porter. That would be Hugo Porter's last involvement in a rugby match if something didn't follow immediately. And the great thing is, though, Hugo Porter, no wonder, three years later, age 40, he comes out of retirement in order to play one test series against. 
England and Ireland. It's just as well. Because, look, you look at that chip kick and think like, God, I hope that's not the last thing he does in a rugby field. And then you see him do that knock on and you think like, mm, maybe I did. But I hope that's not the last thing he does in a rugby field. And then Alan Wetton scores. And yeah. Hugo Porter goes, it's a real shame that so far the last two things I've done in a rugby field are chip that ball and drop that ball. So he stamps on Alan Wetton's face. Does he get away with it? Yes. So yeah. he gets a long talking to from the referee and mm. uh, the commentators are constantly saying, like, oh, he's going to get sent off here easily. This is going to be the first sending off in the Rugby World Cup. And nope, the referee talks to him for about 30 seconds and then he's allowed to stay on the pitch. I I'm imagine not... because we were into the last minute. I'm not going to lie to you. We were quite close to recording. Time was set to record when that happened. I skipped that and I am just looking at it now and holy shit. Yep. It's he he styles it out like he's stumbling over, but it's definitely. He looks at him. He's so he's walking towards the thing. He looks at Wetton. He stamps on his face. Yeah, he puts a foot onto his face, falls over him. It's not like a like Bradley Davis did once against Mm. Leicester. It's not like that. It's it is still aggressive, and he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and he should be off. Yes. So New Zealand are given a penalty restart from this, Mm. Uh, and luckily for Argentina, New Zealand dropped the ball. So we approach the last play, or thereabouts of the game, and <sighs> so New Zealand are penalised for something that happens at a rock, and no one yeah. has no idea, no idea what's going on. And as Gomez goes to pick up the ball to quick tap it, Cook finally, after years of being a boy scout, becomes a scrum half. Yes. <laughs> and as Gomez is getting up to pick up the ball up, he just pulls one of his legs back, so he trips over, so he can't get to the ball. He knocks it on. Gomez makes like a theatrical show of it, but he doesn't have to. Yeah, the orbits get marched back ten, so the you know David Kirk is then sent back. The camera is completely on him. Yeah, as Hugo Porter goes, well, we're not going to do anything else, are we? And goes to hang a massive, massive bomb. Before this, of course, so Kirk is penalised. The mm. referee doesn't say a word when he penalises him. He just points at David Kirk and then slaps him on the ass. What? Yep. As David Kirk is going back ten, the referee slaps him on the ass. Um, I'm just. Okay, it's lower back. It's just above the arm. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. No, Thank no. God. Thank <laughs> God. For a moment, I thought we were going to have to do some unearthing on Roger Quittenden. <laughs> because that would not surprise me about that guy. Sure. Uh, but yes. He, he has, like, village priest vibes. Sure. <laughs> I can see that. So, yes. So, Hugo Porter goes, we're not going to score for anything else. And just hangs a bomb as high as he can. And wouldn't you know it, it comes down directly onto... David Kirk. Yep. And also coming down to David Kirk is Argentine flanker Alejandro Chaveo. And speaking of the last thing any people do in a Rugby World Cup, right? Alejandro Chaveo also retires after this World Cup. Oh. From rugby all out. So the last thing he does in a rugby pitch is this. Do you want to please describe what he does to David Kirk? The thing that sums it up best is that Graham Thorne on CoComs goes full Mick Morgan on this. Yes. Like, so Shavayo, he jumps in the air with kind yeah. of, kind of arse first into Kirk's head. Well, he spin, he spins his shoulder so that it's connecting with yeah. Kirk's kind of like. Neck. Basically, he just tries to get the most bony parts of his body yeah. to collide with Kirk's head and neck area. Yes. It's very deliberate. Yes. Uh, and it's to hurt David Kirk because he's pissed yeah. off his scrum off mildly. And so Graham Thorne is 
losing his mind over this and saying like, it's disgraceful that's as clear a sending off as you'll ever see like it's the worst thing I've ever seen on a rugby field send the dirty get off get him off the field as though there wasn't just a stab to the face a moment earlier yeah the thing about this game is it was about four minutes away from a proper punch up where oh, everyone yes. gets sent up yeah 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 and really annoyingly then <laughs> You even get the penalty for David being beheaded. Yeah. And Grant Fox misses touch. And, of course, it's bloody Pedro Lanza. He fumbles it. And that's game over. Yeah. Four minutes before all eight forwards for one of two, one of, one of the other teams, at least eight forwards are leaving here hospitalized if this game goes on oh, five yeah, minutes yeah, longer. Yeah. I would have said that 30% of these players would have left with, all, with eyeballs. Like, yeah, like, we're talking pro de do numbers. We are, massively. Like, yeah. Like, this is about to become a bloodbath. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, even at the full-time whistle, if not for the pitch being invaded, you just get that impression that everybody was about to start flying at each other now there was no referee to tell them off. Yeah, like, yeah, like happened at France-Argentina a couple of years ago. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was great. Where oh. the moment the game ended, the two packs just went like, well, you can't do it even now. Yeah, and just yeah. Went at two packs Shakur actually um, yeah. came on and punched somebody. Yeah, yeah. As I say, the pitches are flooded with fans, some of whom may or may not play for Argentina, most of whom are human by the looks of it. Yeah, just point. But that's a good point, actually. When there was the pitch invasion, I hope whoever Timothy belonged to managed to find him. I, oh yeah, I paused it, you can't see Timothy on the pitch. No, gutted. I had a real good look. Uh, Several times I thought a child might be him, but you can't see him. (laughs) Never mind. But yes, also the players, the other players, the other Kiwis mm. are physically carrying David Kirk off. So that's it. That's the interesting thing is that uh, David Kirk has to get carried off because he's very clearly concussed. Yeah. And they had decided if the game was going to play on, he would be playing on when he's yeah. very clearly like he has no he idea can, where he is. Yeah. And he, can, he can't walk. Like it's it's not a many miles off the thing that happened to, to mention her again, Nolly Waterman in that semi-final. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 2017 where she... Tries to get back in position, falls over and falls off the sideline. Yeah, it was, it was um, awful. Like, but, he's needing to be held up. Yeah. Like, not just carried off. He's, like, being physically held up so he yeah. doesn't trip over and fall. And there, there's two players and one medic all holding up. Holding yeah. up so it's three people just making so, sure he's okay. Uh, Gary Wesson gets him off the field, kind of yeah. pats him on the back. And there's, like, a couple of kids come over and start trying to pull Gary Wesson off so yeah. they can have a selfie. Or, not, not a selfie at the time. Just they can have a little autograph or a chat yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no. So then and... the players go off into the tunnel mm. and there's a reporter walks up to David Kirk and is clearly about to ask, right, can we have the post-match interview with you, Captain? And then realises what an awful, horrid state David Kirk is in and goes, no, actually, I'm making a better judgment on this. You, yeah. you go and sort yourself out. And then kind of like awkwardly stands there trying to pick out an All Black that would do an interview and it doesn't really happen for him. No, well... Keith Quinn has the moment of kind of going, and we get no, we're not going to have the interview. No, that makes sense. Yeah, let's exactly. let's move on. Let's just close the broadcast and move along with our lives. Go back to showing the highlights, and by that I mean the dog. Yeah, exactly. So, with that, does that bring mm. us through to the end of the game? I think that brings us through to the end of the game, and with it, to man of the dick and day of the match. Yes, exactly. So day of the match is Let's Friday. Let's start with yes. Let's start with dick of the day. Okay, okay. 
I mean, there's a lot of fuck-ups in this game, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people doing things stupidly. Like, the whole thing with Porter, like, tripling down on himself at the end, pretty bad. John Koo and dropping the ball just short of the try line is interesting, but he played well enough that you know, mm-hmm. it kind of cancels out. There's plenty of things. I mean, that whole thing about McCarr Hill passing to himself into touch <laughs> was a lot. But, like, I just simply can't see past Kieran Crowley shooing the dog away. Like, what a spoil <laughs> yeah. sport, man. Like, you want to play with that dog. Forget, like, it doesn't matter if Argentina score. You get to enjoy your time with Timothy the good boy. So my dick of the day is Kieran Crowley. Take Colado's lead. Yes. What would Oscar do? Yeah. Li- literal lead, it might well be. <laughs> yes. Um, so I discovered during this game that uh, Jorge Allen, the Argentine flanker, mm. Uh, lives in South Africa and was a big supporter of the, uh, the um, apartheid regime. So he's my cunt of the match. Yeah, okay. He keeps getting injured, like, all the time in this game. Yep. And you know what? Karma. So he's up there. Yep. Uh, Hugo Porter, for what he does at the end, closing his career with the sheer level of frustration that he wants to try a chip on his own trial line straight to the opposition's best player. And then, then a, a chip into the opposition's flanker's face as well. Yes. Yep. Really, really not very nice. Gomez for not getting injured and not giving us the treat that would have been that. Um, and also, just for, I suppose, general stuff. Uh, Zinzan Brook, just generally. Yeah. But really, I mean, so I was going to make it the policeman officer that eventually takes Timothy off the pitch. But does it have to be? Do I have to agree with you and say Kieran Crowley? It's your call, man. It's your call. I think, no, I think I'm going to go full, full NWA and say, my dick of the day is the police. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. A cab and that. <laughs> Man of the match. So, who wants to go first on this one? I want to be very clear, by the way, when I say the police, I don't mean, like, sting. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> who Roger could maybe pass off as well. Sure, yeah. I can see that. So, Man of the match. Look. Okay, so... There are some players, human players, who play well. Yeah, team. yeah. I would concede John that, that that's true. Plays well. David Kirk plays well. They both there's, definitely were really good in this. There's, like, more, there's also more players. There's I think, also more people. Look, usually we take it in turns to do Man of the Match. We're going to do this mm. simultaneously now. Okay. John Kerwin was great, wasn't he? John Kerwin was great. Was he every David time he Kirk. Got the ball. Amazing. David Kirk, very good. Grant and, Fox played well. We don't like him as much. Sinzan Brook was good on yeah. debut. Very sure, strong sure. debut. Yeah. I completely see I completely see that. Um I'm sure some players played well for Argentina, but I didn't spot it. I don't care. Uh Gomez actually, Gomez was pretty fun. Gomez was Gomez great. Was pretty good. Was a really Gomez good game. Well. Yeah, I really really enjoyed watching him in this game. And Hugo Porter had a couple of moments when he wasn't ruining Kicked his well. legacy. Kicked well, generally. Yeah. And they was at one for fifty metres to keep Argentina in the game. Yeah. Start the second half. Very good before New Zealand started to run away with it. You know? Good game from Hugo Porter. Good last cap. Until the last five minutes. You know, well, last but third cap. Yeah. Last, you know, cap last for retiring. Cap for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. However, man of the match can be no one other than the goodest of all the good boys. It could never be anyone else. It is, of course, Timothy the dog. Of course it's Timothy the dog. There's nobody else it could be. He is not only not only is he a dog, but mm. he also actually played rugby in this game. Yeah. 
he was he was amazing. Really good counter attacker, really good positionally, and mm. really really good at doing a wee on the pitch. And yeah. like as far as I'm aware, Timothy and Jerry Collins are the only two players to do a wee on the pitch in a rugby World Cup. Mm. Was Jerry's in the World Cup? Yeah, yeah, it was against Italy. Oh, we'll get on to that eventually. That's yeah. quite exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, Timothy, undoubtedly, I think his positioning is excellent consistently. Yeah. I think he, he really intelligent support runner as well. Yeah. <laughs> and covered the backfield. Really, like, you don't see a lot of players in this World Cup who drop into the backfield so instinctively as Timothy does. Yeah. Like, he's just, he understands what Porter was going to do. It's like he could read his mind. Oh, yeah, 100%. It was just superb. Yeah. Just absolutely excellent. Deserves a lot of treats. Uh, give lots of treats. Give Timothy a bone is what I say. Yeah, I would. I would agree with you. For the record, if if anybody is listening to this and wants to see the moment where Timothy comes onto the pitch, the match mm-hmm. is on YouTube and it occurs. I would say probably around eight minutes into the game. I think mm-hmm. uh, into the, John the, wins. The sorry. No, I was just saying something stupid. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I've just checked. It's about seven and a half minutes into the game that Timothy first appears. Uh, and not into the game, into the, the video on YouTube. Into the video, yeah. because there's no match clock. Yes. Which is still really annoying. So yes, no stick scoreboard, your no YouTube timer on 7.30 and you should see all the hilarious stuff we just described. All the wonderful, wonderful Timothy antics. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for that lovely, lovely rugby. There was a dog on the pitch. Yep. And for a long time. Yes. No, hold on. Argentina leaving party. Oh my God, Argentina leaving party. I've completely we say adios, adios to Argentina. Um, Shit, music. Argentina. Oh no, this game's got... We've done two hours on bloody... It's okay, we'll right, do this okay. very quickly. We'll do this very quickly. Argentina. This is a song called Argentina. I mean, really, it should be Madonna, shouldn't it? But here we go. Nah. This song's called Argentina. Cool. Yeah, Argentina, they're leaving. They're out of the World Cup. They didn't get their three tries. There were two tries off. What a shame. Qualifying. But you can see how this team can go on to become a rugby, like, Tier 1 nation in a few years' time. Yeah, they, yeah. They're probably the best of the, the Tier 2 nations, I think, in this World Cup. That's it. And I, I'm looking forward to when we eventually do 91, 95, whatever, seeing players mm. like Sebastian Salvat and how they develop. Yeah. And a couple of the players who are kind of residual from this World Cup. Obviously, their best player is Hugo Porter. Yes. He he was genuinely very good in this tournament, despite but, the, the end to it. But yeah, no, I mean my standout for them is Diego Costa Silva. Yeah, who I thought was yeah. fantastic. The two games he played. I was going to say Diego Cash as well played well. Yeah, oh, I like Diego Cash. Yeah, yeah, huge lad, big scrummager, yeah. slightly shorter than the other props, so played hooker. Yeah, but Absolutely the annoying thing is his name is Cash, so the Rugby World Cup don't like him. The Rugby World Cup hate him and tried to ban him. Yeah. He tried to do adverts as well, but they just wouldn't pay him. Yeah. Because he's wholesome and rugby values. Uh, Sebastian Salva, as I said, I'm really excited to see how he developed because he's a youngster at this point. He's like, he's 21, yeah. makes his debut around this World Cup. And yeah, really excited to see him in 91 whenever we do that down the line. Yeah. Really good, really promising player. And yeah, Diego Cuesta Silva, for me, if we're picking an Argentine MVP, mm-hmm. for me, Diego Cuesta Silva stands out. That's cool. Mine's Hugo Porter. Yeah. And on the opposite ooh. end of the spectrum, the Lanza Twins. Yeah, if we're picking dicks of the tournament for Argentina... It's it's easy. It's easy. It's those two. We can split this, right? Uh, I was going to say which one's older. I can go for the older and you can go for the younger, but it doesn't work like that, does no. it? No. Uh, because they're twins. I am going to say Pedro Lanza, and you can say... Juan Lanza. Perfect. Lovely stuff. <laughs> we can't throw it. Yeah. Uh, we really hate our time at Buenos Aires University. <laughs> so, 
With that, thank you, Argentina. What a wonderful, wonderful job you've done. What a wonderful, wonderful country. And yeah. thank you for housing all of those absolute deplorables in Patagonia. Yeah, uh, and we loads will of see you all. Yep. We will see you all next week for Romania against Scotland, when we should have another guest lined up yeah. to dive deep into Romania, somehow scoring more points than you'd expect against Scotland. We will see you then. In the meantime... Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week and enjoy pissing on the field. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.